see you. Uh, man, what an awesome day, man. I just want to thank Grant and JR for leading us worship. The AV team put it together. They do an amazing job. And I'll say this, just a, a shameless plug. If you enjoy that and like want more of that, man, tonight's your night. Tonight at 5 o'clock, they're doing a night of worship. Time to just come up and spend some extended time of worship for the whole family. Uh, they'll tell you more about the end of service, but just mark your calendars. Make that plan to come up if you can. We'd love to have you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. That's in the Old Testament if you're new. Uh, you can go online and find Bibles on there too at Bible Gateway or uh, Bible.com if you need to find one of those. Uh, I'd like to see the youth boys on the front row, my, my heckling session right, section right there, so they give me a hard time during sermon. Uh, that's a half joke, half not, guys, just letting you guys know. Around. We are uh, in our second week, as Grant said, of redeeming rest, and I'll kind of explain more about that in a second, but to tee up today's sermon, I always like to have kind of a thought-provoking question, something to kind of get you going, and so here, here's my question. I'd love for you just to real quickly answer this with the person you came with today, or maybe someone you just met uh, next to you. Here it is. Have you ever got lost in a task and couldn't stop? You ever had one of those things that you just kept going and going and you're just like, man, I just can't stop. Take a quick second with the person next to you, that thing that immediately popped to mind, maybe that happens every single week, uh, that you get lectured about, whatever it is, take a second, answer that question. What's something that you've, a task or a uh, job-related thing that you got uh, stuck in, if you will? Wow. Josiah, we'll have a meeting in my office after church. We're starting a student ministry search process as of today. No, just I feel like this is just something that everyone at some point in their life falls into where you just get so, like, tunnel visioned on something that nothing's going to stop you from this thing, right? I, I don't know if you've ever done that with work, with some hobby or something like that. Uh, my most embarrassing thing in my life, I, I remember this, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to confess this. I've shared it before. Uh, but when we were in Chickasha and my wife was uh, a stay-at-home, uh, running an in-home daycare, uh, on Fridays, I would have off, and we had a finished basement, and she would be working upstairs. And so I would go down to the basement and, and just spend time alone all day. And uh, my students at that time, because I was a student minister, uh, were into a lot of video games, one game called Skyrim. And as a form of research, I bought the game to check it out and see what it was about. Uh, Josiah, you can't use that one on me. Good try. Uh, not going to work. But anyway, so I got this game, and it's just like a, a just game where you just get lost in this world, medieval kind of times kind of stuff, suit of armor sort of stuff. And, and I'm playing this game, and I remember one day, I go down there and start playing, and, and about 12 hours later, I come up. My eyes are bloodshot red because I don't think I've blinked for like, like five times the whole time. Uh, I, I forgot to come eat food. I didn't go use the rest. Like, I just got lost in this game. My thumbs were developing blisters from playing this game nonstop. And Emily knows I've been down there the whole time. And she goes, what have you been doing for 12 hours? And, and I said, well, part of this game is I can make suits of armor, but you have to go mine the iron ore and stuff. And so I spent 12 hours hours mining iron ore in a game to make a suit of armor for a game I was playing. And when I said that out loud, I realized there's no way to make that sound cool or justifiable. And I looked at her and I immediately said, I have a problem. I need help. I need to quit. Uh, I, I just got so lost in this task. 
In a more serious note, I find myself in work doing that all the time. I get something going, and I just, I can't stop, man. I've got to get this done. My, my, my focus is just on this thing, and I'll find myself staying late hours or, or working above and beyond just doing it because I've got to do this. Because what happens, and maybe you can relate to this statement, is this, is, is it comes to a point for me where, where it's, it's, easy to, it's, it's easier for me to keep working than to stop. In other words, to stop would be more work. And as much as I know I need to stop, I'm like, if I stop, this is going to set me back in so many other ways, and I just, need to get, I just need to grind this out, I just need to focus, and yet the more I do that, the more I find that every day can easily become that, right? Where if I just keep going, if, if I were to stop, this would set me back so much. I, I truly can't stop. The series we're in is called Redeeming Rest, and it's looking at the theology, the, what the Bible says about rest and how we practically do it uh, is what we're exploring. And, and now last week, I'm not going to go recap, I encourage you to go listen to that if you want to see how they build on each other. But last week, we answered the question of what does it mean to rest, and ultimately, here, here's the statement is this, rest is stopping what I'm doing to enjoy what God has already done. Let me say it one time. Stop, the rest is stopping what I'm doing to enjoy what I, uh, God has already done. The, the biblical term that you see related to this in Scripture is called Sabbath. As a matter of fact, there's three different words I will use interchangeably all throughout that kind of correlate to the same thing. Rest, Sabbath, and stop. The word very rest in Genesis chapter 2 where you see God creating everything, it means to cease. He, he ceased his work. He stopped. Sabbath means to stop and worship. And so we want to talk about that. Today, we're going to answer this question that relates to the opening question I had. It is, what if I just can't stop working? Have you ever felt that way? Well, I, I just can't stop, Eric. I know you're telling me I need to stop, I need a rest, but that, that, sounds, that sounds nice, but that's not realistic for me. I just, I just, I need to keep doing this. I can't quit. And today, looking at Exodus chapter 20, I want to show you what God says in this Old Testament passage that applies to us, I think, too, in many ways. And ultimately, the big idea you're going to find that I'm trying to point to you is this, is that we need to rest for our good and God's glory. For those of you who say, I can't rest, my rebuttal to you is like, no, you need to rest. It's not just for your own good, but it's also for the glory of God. And when we say we can't, we strip both of those things away. So if you have your Bibles, hopefully you're there in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read verses 1 through 17, and honestly, this is a text that most of you are probably familiar with. Most of the lost world, the secular world, knows this text, or at least pieces of it. It's the Ten Commandments. And I want to read to you exactly what God tells the Israelites uh, after they've uh, come into the wilderness from escaping slavery. Listen to what it says. Then God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. Like, do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything, in the heavens above or on the earth below, or in the waters underneath the earth. Like, do do not bow and worship them, and do not serve them, for for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commands." Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Like you were to labor six days and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. 
you, your sons or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Like honor your father and your mother so that you may have a li- uh, long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house, not, nor, not covering your neighbor's wife, his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I know a lot of you struggle with coveting your neighbor's donkey, right? Um, I'm, I'm going to unpack that. No, I'm not talking about that at all today. We're actually going to spend some time narrowing in specifically on verse 8 through 10 and what that says to us. But, but as we open this up, there's actually three questions I want to answer. Again, as we're trying to unpack, and I'm trying to show you this idea of where we, we need to rest for our good and God's glory, we're going to use this text to kind of point to that. And if you read this, there's probably three questions that come to your mind that naturally came to my mind too. But one is this, what's going on here, right? Like, what, what is going on? Why is this in the middle of this book? Like, what, what is going on here? Second is this, it is what is this command actually saying? Like, we don't want to add to or take away, so we're going to be faithful to what the Bible says. What is it actually saying? And the more important thing that some of you may wrestle with is this is an Old Testament book. And Jesus came to the New Testament and fulfilled a lot of things. So the question is this, are we still commanded to do this today? That, that, that's the outline, if you will. For those of you who are tracking, going, when is he going to be done? When I get to that third question, that's when we're done. You following with me here? It's pretty simple as that. So start with this first one. What in the world is going on here? Like, why Ten Commandments? What, what was their purpose? Why is this suddenly given? To, to get this, you have to start getting context to the letter. Anytime you open up the Bible, especially in the middle of any section, and start reading it and go, I don't know what's going on here, most likely it's because you haven't read in context what's going on. You have to go read before and after and say, well, what's going on? If I were to pick any random book and read right in the middle, you would not suddenly go, oh, yeah, I'm completely caught up. No, you you would be missing so much of the story, the narrative, what's going on. And then where we pick up comes right in the middle of what's going on with the Israelites. You see, back in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6 through 14, we see that uh, the Israelites are in quite a predicament. You see, Genesis ends with the story of the Israelites and how God is forming a nation for him where he intends to bless the entire world through a specific group of people. And it ends with this guy named Joseph who who comes and uh, more or less God uses him in a terrible situation to, to, to help deliver these people and a lot of other people in the world. And he goes and he's working in Egypt and he ends up delivering them and helping them guide them through a famine that's going on. And after they come through it, him and his whole family come to live in Egypt to the point that we find out, sorry, I'm trying to open my Bible to it. In Exodus chapter 1, we find out this. Listen to what it says. Since Joseph and all his brothers and all his generation eventually died, but the Israelites were fruitful and increased rapidly and multiplied and became extremely numerous so the land was to be filled with them. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt, and he said to his people, look, the Israelite people, like, they're too many, they're powerful, come, let's deal shrewdly with them, otherwise they might multiply further. And when war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave. So the Egyptians assigned taskmakers of the Israelites and oppressed them and forced labor, and they built all this sort of stuff. More or less, they come, they realize they have an opportunity, they may stage a coup someday, so, so we're, we're going to force them into slavery. And we read all throughout, and we learn in Exodus chapter 12 that this goes on, you you have to catch us, for 400 
400 years, 400 plus years of slavery, being forced, manual labor, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no stoppage, nothing going on. You, you see, what you say, well, what was the purpose God places in Because they've been under oppression. They've been put under the oppression and focus of foreign gods. They, they don't know what following God looked like. They've been forced to follow other things. And, and ultimately, all they've known is slavery and slave labor. They've been surrounded by pagan influences. And so ultimately, we see in verse 2, God sits down and he's inviting them into a relationship with him. Look what he says. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. If you're not familiar with the Exodus story, it's just the Red Sea where God takes them, delivers them out. They cross the Red Sea, they come to the other side, and God begins to deliver them. They go from one hardship to another hardship to another hardship. And they finally landed. Just before this, they're starting to get a little bit stable. And what happens when we start getting stable? We start getting comfortable and we start doing our own things. God begins to lay down, listen, if you want to have a relationship with me, this is what it looks like. And he tells them who I am, what I've done, and the rest of the Ten Commandments is saying what I expect of you. Uh, my, my students back in the days is going to date me even as a student minister. They'd say like this, like God's having a DTR with them before they come FBO. You know what that means, some of you? They're defining the relationship before they come Facebook official. So I've still lost some of you. Facebook officials, when you let everyone know we're in a relationship, your relationship status has changed, that's what's going youth are not on Facebook anymore. So even to them, I, I mean like a middle audience that no one fits into but myself right here. God is defining the relationship. Listen, if you want to be in a relationship with me, this is what it has to look like. I don't know if you've ever been in a time in your life where you had a crush or someone you liked, and you sat down and you may not have called it that, but ultimately you're doing that. You're having a, we need to find the relationship here, what's going on. Emily and I, my now wife, started dating in high school. I was 15 years old, and she was just a little bit older, and we start dating, and as time goes on, uh, early on, I was not being a good boyfriend. And I remember one day, I was constantly breaking off dates. I was just not showing up whenever I told her I'd be there. Her family tried to have me over, and I was just constantly, because of different stuff going on. And one day, she, after church, we go across the street to McDonald's, because where else would you go to have a define the relationship conversation, right? And, and so we go across the street to McDonald's from our church, and we sit down, and she has a define the relationship with me. And she says, listen, if you're going to be my boyfriend, here's what I expect of you. I expect you to show me more respect. I expect you to quit cutting off dates like this because it means you don't care for me. I, she began to tell me this is what it looks like. God is doing the exact same thing with them right here. It, it details the do's and don'ts of their relationship. If you want to be in a relationship with me, I know you haven't seen this. You've been in slavery and bondage for 400 years. This is what it looks like. And what's interesting, the first four commandments you have all detail their relationship with God. You can't worship other gods. Don't try to make an image after me. Don't use my name in vain. Don't, don't use my name carelessly, what's going on. It even ties into the Sabbath, which we'll get to even more. The, the last ones, 5 through 10, detail his relationship with his children. It, it says, hey, listen, if you want to be in a relationship with me, you're going to treat me with respect and dignity, and you're going to treat my kids with respect and dignity as well. Any parent can understand this, right? Like, if you treat me nice but treat my kids terrible, we have an issue. And this is what it looks like to be in relationship. God is telling them what it looks like. And so that's setting up what the Ten Commandments, why they come about. God is defining what's going on. 
But the more important question is this, is why would God give the specific command? Like you get to verse 9, he's talking about all sorts of stuff. Okay, don't worship other gods. I get that. Don't use my name. Don't, don't make graven images after me. I get that. But then verse 8, he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You're, you're to labor for six days, do all your work, but on the seventh day, I want you to rest. I want you to stop. Why would God give this command? What an obscure and weird command. If you had to sit down and say, my top ten things that are most important to me, would, would you imagine the one would be, you need to rest, bro. You need to stop. It's a weird statement. But if you think about for them specifically the history I just gave, what's been going on? 400 years of what? Slavery. Bondage. Non-stop work. They, they, they literally don't know any other way of life except this. That they have a rhythm that is unhealthy, unnatural, ungodly, not the way he designed to be. That they don't know anything else. You see it in today's culture. If you ever hear prisoners who have been in prison or jail for a long extended period of time, and when they get out, they get institutionalized. When they finally get freedom, they don't know what it looks like to live as a free person. And so often they go back to old habits or they go back to saying, listen, I can't do this, and they find themselves back in prison because even though they're in incarceration, what's going on there, they, they feel so much more comfort in what they're used to and they know. God has just freedom from slavery. There are temptations to go back, and God's like, listen, you got to follow my rhythm. you got to do what I do. But more specifically for us, think of ourselves. Let's bring it home. Why do we find ourselves working ourselves to death? Why, why do we constantly chase the almighty daughter, dollar or almighty position? Because you think for us, what does work do? Work provides for our needs, and it defines our identity, doesn't it? Well, like, think about this. Like, where do we find security, value, and purpose in my job and what I'm able to accomplish and if I'm able to provide? And think about this. When you meet someone new, a new acquaintance, what, what's generally one of the top five questions you will get to? What's your name? Where are you from? Then what will we say? What do you do for a living? But why? Because their identity is wrapped into it. Even when we introduce new people, we'll say, this is Jimmy, yeah, he's a carpenter. This is John, yeah, he's a banker. We begin to tie in to their identity of what they do. Why would God have an issue with this? Think about it. Because when it comes to these things, these are things we're supposed to find in God. And yet we're finding it in work. And even though it feels good and seems nice, ultimately we're making ourselves a slave to the thing that we're working towards. God should be our security. God should give us our value. God should give us our purpose. God should give us our identity. And, and can I say this? When we explore those things in our places, it, 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 is, it is unfaithful. It'd be no difference than me coming to my wife and say, listen, I, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do all sorts of stuff. But ultimately, emotionally, I connect with this other lady so much better. And so, so you have all this of me, but I enjoy this other lady more, and I'm going to emotionally connect with her. Would my wife be okay with that? She shouldn't be, because that belongs to her. It's the same with God, and God will not share anything with, with other people like that. And so, so listen, understand this. When, when I rest, I'm committing to finding these things in God. I'm committing to it. But resting takes faith. It takes trust. It takes humility. It, it's coming to say, I, I'm not in control. I'm going to allow God to be in control by taking one day to stop and trust him that the world is still going to spin even though I've quit. And even though I find so much identity and comfort in doing this task, I'm going to stop because my identity is in the Lord, not this thing. You see, when we rest, we glorify and honor God. A church word, let me just tell you about, is this. It's called worship. 
a working definition of worship is this. Worship is our response to God in light of who he is and what he's done. When you start to realize the great and almighty God that loved you and cared for you and gave his only son to die on the cross for your sins, and, and you look at what all he's done for my life, what, what's my response? Obedience and worship. Why, why does God start in verse 2 of who he is and what he's done? He's trying to tell them who he is. And so that's what's going on here. And the question you have to ask yourself to process this is this. What re- for what reasons do you refuse to rest from work? In, in your own life, why do you, wh- what's justifiable in your mind? Say, you know what, I, I need to keep doing this. Why? Is it for security? Is it for provision? Is it for identity? Like, why can't you stop? Now, now when we read it, we've got to begin to unpack what is actually being commanded here. What is he actually saying? So look at verse 8 through 10. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He says, you're to labor for six days and do all your work. The first thing what you see is right there. He says this, you're to labor for six days and do all your work. His first command of it is this, you should work. Can I tell you this? Some millennials in the room maybe need to hear it. Some other people like, at the end of the day, you should work. It is a biblical act of worship to work. God in original creation created us to care and steward his world through work. We are called to work. Work is good, and he makes it clear we should be diligent in it. He didn't say you should work some. He says what? You should do all your work. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians verse 3, he says this. He says, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> if you want to be lazy and sit on your bottom and do nothing, expect other people just to care for you. Listen, you know you got those kind of people? They, they don't eat. We all contribute to the work going on. And, and so this isn't a, an embattlement against work. Work is worship. When we do it in the confines of the way God told us, it's worship. But the second part of the text is just as important. He says, but on the seventh day, what? Is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and you must not do any work. He says, one day a week, listen, we should rest. Not only should we work, but we should also rest. There should be a balance. Rest means to cease to work. Now, I had a lot of people when I preached on this last week go, well, I, I guess that means I can't do anything. I guess I'm going to find you. You were using, listen, you guys are very creative. I'm just going to say that right now. You guys walked around here excited thinking you've got the veto power of the pastor to come and say, just stop whatever you're doing right here. Can I tell you what he's talking about? When he's talking about ceasing from work, what he means by work is this. What you've been pouring yourself into for the previous six days. If you've been pouring yourself into this one job, it's consume your life for six days, and that's what you've been doing. Listen, you need to take one day to stop and let it sit. For, for me, I'm constantly pouring into ministry work. It's a blessing. I enjoy it. I'm constantly reading my Bible trying to figure out how to, how to prepare a sermon and stuff like that. For, for me, can I tell you something? On my day of rest, it's not out of the norm or wrong for me to go and mow my yard because it's something different than what I've been doing the other six days. It's silence and solitude in a way for me, Lord. It, it's stopping what you've been doing for the previous six days to give it to the Lord. We should rest. Uh, you might say, why is that? J.D. Greer a pastor who I really enjoy listening to said this. He said, why, why do we rest? Well, first and foremost, it's practical. You, you need rest. I don't need to tell you more. You keep going, going, going. Eventually, you will fry yourself. You need rest. Not only is it practical, but it's spiritual. At some point in your life, you need to reconnect and refocus. In, any of you from an older generation know this whenever we had uh, tom-toms or garments, right? If you drove for a little bit and you got off track, what would it yell at you? Anybody remember? Recalculating. 
We put ours in a British accent because I felt better like I was getting chauffeured around by a British garment accent and stuff. And if I got off track, we'd say, recalculating, recalibrating. Re-, and after you did it six times, like, you're just lost. It would just stop talking. It's like, you're, you're good luck, bro. I don't know what you're doing. Here's the thing. Listen, we have one day a week. It's spiritual because sometimes when we get off track, we have to come recalibrate and recalculate and say, listen, I'm getting off grid. I need to get back. Uh, is that, he, he says it's redemptive. In other words, you need to be reminded you're not a slave anymore. And specifically to this audience, that's something they struggled with. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, when he would restate the Ten Commandments, commandments, he adds this to this text. Listen to what he says. Speaking of the seventh day and Sabbath thing, he says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep a Sabbath day. He's like, you're going right back into slavery. And I've bought you from that. I redeemed you from that. You see, when we rest, we worship God in all these ways. Third thing is this. We we should rest. Not only should we work, not only should we rest, but we should also, I love the last part, we should encourage and help others to rest too. Look what he says. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your sons or daughter, your male or female servants, your livestock, or the resident alien who's within your city gates. In other words, that's a guest from out of town that doesn't belong there, came to your house. I I emphasize every time it says your. The the intention is this, listen, we need to not only be resting ourselves, we need to be encouraging others in our household around us to rest. Listen, you need to stop. Why is that? Because when you look at rest, when you think at worship, worship is always meant to be a witness. When I worship God, it's supposed to bring others into the fold so they can see how good our God is. Not just that, when we worship, do you understand? It's never meant to be alone. It's always meant to be in the context of community. Sometimes we like to say, well, my time with God, my worship time with God, we individualize our worship and our relationship with God. But when we read Scripture, God never talks about it that way. It's always in the context of community with other believers. In my household, it's inappropriate for me to go and worship and rest and not bring my family into the fold of what's going on. I think about whenever Emily and I were on different times, and when before she was off with me on Fridays and our day when we said, we're going to rest on this day, I would rest on Friday and she would be working. And I'm trying to truly stop and rest, and I, I'm walking around with this constant sense of guilt of like, oh, I feel bad because she's not resting. She'd come home frustrated because I didn't do all sorts of stuff whenever that needed to be done. And we just found frustration with each other because we were not doing this together. We're, we're encouraged to draw others into it. Now, now, you hear all these things. It's clear what it is. It's, it's, it's about we should work. We should rest. We should encourage others to come in. But, but the problem you'll find some say is this. Well, isn't this an Old Testament command? Like, are we still commanded to do this today? It's interesting because when you read in the New Testament, clearly Jesus has changed the Sabbath in the New Testament. It, like, you say what I mean. Like the New Testament, everywhere you read, never commands us to observe the Sabbath. Jesus never commands us to observe the Sabbath. Or at least as it was understood in, the, in an experience in the Old Testament. You say, why is that? Because Jesus fulfilled the obligations of the law, and he is our Sabbath, and he did that all on the cross. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul will say in Colossians chapter 2, he says this, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food, drink, or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of what has to come. The substance is Christ. 
In the New Testament, Jesus himself would say he is our rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, 29 says, come to me and I will give you rest. Sabbath rest is no longer comes from a day, but from a person. And you might hear that and say, well, if that's true, then how can you be encouraging us to rest, Eric? How can you be encouraging us to follow this? Well, I'll say it like this. Sabbath is no longer a religious command to be enforced, but a religious freedom to be pursued. There's a big difference. In other words, let me just dumb it down a little bit more. You don't have to, but you should. You don't have to, but you should. Maybe a real-life illustration is this. is any kid who grew up in a household and suddenly goes to college, and what do you experience? Freedom, right? Oh, yeah, everyone's all excited. When I was in high school, I had rules, I had regulations, I had curfews, I had certain ways of eating my family wanted me, my parents instilled with me. None of those things were against the law. There were things that my parents were stealing good habits. I went to college, I found freedom. I didn't know I could eat three dinners in one night. I did. My freshman 15 was a freshman 40. I mean, I just gained so much weight because it's like, man, I got the sort of stuff. My first college roommate we had, we made a pact that we would not go to bed before midnight. I don't know why, but to us it sounded like a great idea. And so every night we would stay up at least till midnight. We'd stay up till 2 a.m. just goofing off and just being ridiculous people. Listen, as I've gotten older, time's gone on. Even though I had that freedom, I realize now why my parents were instilling those things in my life. Because they were for my good. And by me now doing the things they've taught me and the things they showed me, it helped me realize that not only do I honor them by doing it, by saying they raise a responsible adult, but I see the value in my own life. You don't have to rest. You don't have to stop. But, but there's a reason it was such a big deal in the Old Testament. There's a reason God created it in the rhythm of his life of seven days a week. The question is, will you do it? The question is, will you do it? I, I love, he concludes in verse 11. He says, goes back to this. Where he says, for the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, the six days. Then he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. He goes back to what? Follow my example. You need to stop. You need to rest. You, you, you need to quit being a slave to your job. You, you need to look at what I did. If I, the creator of the heavens and the earth, did this, you need to do it too. Let me, let me ask you this. Let me just process with you. Who has the last word on how to live your life? At the end of the day, when it comes to how, how should I do what I want to do? How should I live my life? Who, who gets the last say on that? Is it you or the person who created you and designed you and knows better than you what makes you tick? See, at the end of the day, it comes back to this point. Is, listen, I need to rest for my good and God's glory. I need to rest. And some of you are feeling the burnout, the fatigue of going, 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 and you're chasing the carrot and the stick and saying, just the other side, man, it's going to stop. And you're living in a pattern of way of life that God never intended you to do. And at some point, will you follow the example and say, listen, I'm going to stop. Will I, will I honor God? Will I, will I do this for my own good? The, the beauty of what the New Testament brings is it brings the reality of that we get to experience something in the Old Testament they never did. And that's true rest, because Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is the one that fills us back up, which brings the most important question. If you don't have Jesus, how do you rest? 
And the answer is you can't. You can take a day off all you want. But you know what? You're still going to be struggling with your identity. You're still going to be struggling with your purpose. You're still going to be struggling with your needs. You're still going to be struggling with the same. All those things are found in Jesus Christ. And unless you come to a point in your life and submit to his lordship and say, listen, I'm done trying to do it myself. And I acknowledge that my, my life, my way of life is not good, and I've contributed to all the issues in my life, whether I want to completely wrap my mind around it or not. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins to pave away so that I can truly come to rest. And today you may need to respond to that truth. And so I've dumped a lot. I'm going to ask Grant to come just play for a second. I'm going to ask if you just take a second. I just want to ask you if you just sit and maybe bow your heads, close your eyes just to not be distracted and just process. What is the Lord speaking to you right now about? If you're honestly to look at your life, what would it truly look like for you to stop for one day a week you're one day a week to allow God to be God in your life. Something we should do every week, but one intentional day a week to say, you know what, God? I've been consumed with this. And I'm giving it up for a day just to allow you to be my God. What will it take? What has to change? What, what do you have to walk out of this room today practically doing? For some of you, it may be the point that you realize that it don't matter how much you try, if you don't have Jesus, you're not going to be able to rest, and you don't, you don't know what that means. Today's the day that you need to come respond to the truth that maybe today you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. So here in a second, I'm going to be available. We're going to have other elders available. We're going to have some lay leadership in the back available that would love to pray with you, encourage you. Maybe you just need that, that prayer of encouragement to do this, to follow through. Maybe you need to walk through what it means to be saved. But we want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. So I'm going to pray, and after I pray, you, you respond however you need. If you need to take some more time to sit and pray, if you need to get up and worship as we sing, or you need to come talk to one of the leaders, you do that. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the example you set. And God, I know in this room, because I've talked to them, we've got a room full of exhausted people. keep going, 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 trying to just live the American dream. And instead, we're just getting the American fatigue. It saddens me, some people in some voice right now, they're immediately thought, well, maybe I need to do less at the church, maybe do less on Saturdays or something. Like, they're, they're missing that they, they need to cut back in their work life and be better stewards of that. They need to instill a habit, a rhythm in their home with their family, with, with their friends to, to just stop and be. So God, I pray you would, you would push us to action, push us to do something different. Help us to not keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And help us to realize we can accomplish that with you. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for loving us so much that you allowed us to rest and have called us to rest. And I pray we would enjoy that. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Maybe you need to process a little more. I'm going to be available. We've got one of our elders, JD, be over here. I'll be up here. Uh, Stephen D. Riley, being in the back there, love pray. Corey and Amber Whalen, right back here, standing up with name tags. You respond if you need someone to pray with you, encourage you, walk you through what it means to be saved. But respond today. Don't leave here without doing something about it. So let's worship together.